The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. We're going to continue our uh, third week in the Gospel of John. So there's Bibles under the chairs. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting at verse 35 this morning. Just to kind of continue the theme and the thinking of why we're going through the book of John. Um, Every one of us comes from a different place in our lives. Um, Some of us have come from uh, growing up in a poor family. uh, Some from a wealthy family. Some from broken families. Some from whole families. Uh, We've grown up in all different kind of neighborhoods. Some small towns. Some busy cities. Um, Some of us grew up with families of faith and others with no faith at all. Um, So our stories are unique. And because our stories are unique, I think sometimes it's easy for us to think that that God can't relate to all of us. And so we kind of end up pushing God off into a distance and thinking that, you know, we show up and then we go through life and that God isn't really for life, the nitty-gritty of life. And the book of John is so incredible for that. As John ends his book by saying, these stories were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And, And that's why he came. And that's why this book was written for us to realize that God isn't distant, that God, as it says in John 14, John 1, 14, God became flesh, a human being, and he moved into our neighborhood. He just became a part of life as a real person. And it's Jesus, that person, that wants us to just, as we see him and taste him, to just put our confidence in him and really experience life. So... Um, John 1 let's read together verse 35 it starts out it says the next day John uh, and this is the day after the day before right John was there again with two of his disciples and there meaning the river Jordan where he was baptizing people and he's with Andrew and Philip And it says, when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And this verse 39 here is, this is, appears twice. And it's kind of the heart of these verses. He says, Come and you'll see. Come and see. And so they went, Andrew and Philip, with Jesus and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And I think he said, you got to come and see. 
And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day again, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, the other one who had followed him, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And that's because Nazareth was known as a place, this mixed place where there were Jews and Gentiles. And so Nathanael looked at Nazareth. And in the past, I've said like a gorst, but but I'm going to call it Bremerton because I kind of had a... um, on the phone this week, this is a little insert, okay? On the phone this week, um, we put on Craigslist that we're selling our drive through um, because we had a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken donated that we're moving it to. And so I was talking to this gal on the phone who wants to purchase the drive through and I said, well, where do you live? And she said, Gorst. <laughs> And Pat rebuked me because I immediately told her, I didn't think anybody lived in Gorst. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I, I think she's still going to buy the drive through anyway. <laughs> um, so we'll just say, Bremerton. Okay. Um, verse 47. So Jesus said, Wow, a true Israelite. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus concludes by saying, well, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly, I, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let's pray, and then we'll look at these verses. Father, uh, we want to see Jesus. Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for these verses. And I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes, would wet our taste buds, to want to see and to want to taste Jesus. So I give you this time. Amen. So how many of you have heard the phrase, the proof is in the pudding? Have any of you heard that phrase, the proof is in the pudding? Okay. Well, the proof is in the pudding is actually a recent twist on an old proverb that goes back centuries that is the proof of the pudding is in the eating the proof of the pudding is in the eating and the word pudding isn't what we think about when we think of pudding it's not that sweet 
sweet stuff that you, you know, you eat. In Britain, dating back centuries, pudding meant more than that sweet dessert. Originally, pudding referred to a kind of sausage, and the pudding was the filling in the intestines of an animal of minced meat and the definition says other things. Does that excite you, the thought of that pudding? And so it, it's the first thing that went through my mind was eating at a fast food place. So just enjoy going there afterwards. And the other things. No, the, um, so what it came to mean was that you probably want to try out something carefully since that kind of food might be treacherous to eat. Um, Or maybe you don't want to try it at all. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like saying, I've heard that snake is great. You guys heard that? Snake is great. And somebody could say, well, have you ever had snake? And I said, well, no. But I hear it's great. (laughs) The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Now, to make a comparison, this is the heart of what we're going to see in these verses, is the proof of real Christianity is also in the tasting. The proof of real Christianity is in the tasting. And so the big idea, if you have your notes, you'll see that Jesus isn't just to be talked about or or, or a meeting that's attended or a ritual that we're going through, but Jesus is to be tasted. In Psalm 34, 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, one of the questions that troubles me as much as any other question is, why is there often so little difference between the lives of those who call themselves Christians and the lives of those who don't? that trouble you? Why is there so little difference so often? If Jesus in John 10, 10, it says he came that we might have life and have it to the full. I mean, life. Why is there often so little difference? Is it possibly, possibly because there are lots of churches and lots of programs and lots of events, but there is too little tasting of Jesus. John Tyson in, in a book called Sacred Roots shows that how little the difference is in, in so many areas. Just to, to make a comparison, uh, the difference between, and this is in surveys that he did, the difference between those who call themselves Christians and those who don't, um, those who are, if you're stressed out, okay, people that are stressed out. versus 38%. Not much that difference. In serious financial debt, 16% those who call themselves Christians. 15% those who don't. Concerned about the future or anxious about the future, 80% Christians, only 79% those who don't call themselves Christians. Lonely, 17% versus 20%. Too busy, 36 versus 35%, and happy, 86 versus 79%. Why is this? In another survey, 
his explanation for the reasons why 35% of millennials who are a lot of you who are here today are anti-church and why almost 60% of those who grew up in the church have abandoned the church. These are the reasons. 40% said they find God elsewhere besides in the church. 35% say it's not relevant. 35% said because of the moral failures of leaders and others, it's boring. God's missing. Church is just a bunch of empty rituals. So could it be that, that often we are people who are attending and meeting and talking, but we're not really tasting Jesus? As we look at these verses here, I just want you to, to ask yourself, are you, are you tasting Jesus? Are you, are you enjoying Jesus? I mean, that's what this is about. <laughs> um, and yet, how often we forget. I mean, Jesus is beautiful. And, and we're going to see that as we go through the book of John. He's, he's so kind and gracious and good. And are we tasting Jesus? Are, are In the midst of life, are you tasting Jesus? So in John 1, back to the verses, in the setting, it says that John the Baptist, he repeats what he said before. He says, look, the Lamb of God. You know, John made some really crazy statements about Jesus. Just to summarize some of them, I mean, he says, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Almost seems like a riddle. (laughs) He who was after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That, if you're standing and listening and somebody's describing somebody that way, that's, he says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm, I'm here to prepare the way for the Lord. He said, among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, whose shoelaces I am not worthy to untie. I mean, that's, untying shoelaces isn't that big a deal. And John says, I'm not even unworthy to untie his, his shoelaces. And as the John's disciples are listening to him say these incredible things, they've got to be asking, who is this guy? I mean, is he really? Is he really who John says he is? And so as a result, what do they do? They follow him. I think it's exactly what we do. They, they hear what John says and they, and they follow him. Um, I think, you know, for us today, probably what we do is we'd, we'd Google search, you know, Jesus or look on Facebook or LinkedIn and say, who is this guy? For them, they just, they just say, I'm going to follow. And, and Jesus turns around and he says, what do you want? Um, I think some of us probably would have been a little ruder, like, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you about? And they say, where are you staying? Um, I mean, imagine if Russell Wilson moved into your neighborhood. Um, if you're not familiar with him, you know, he, he plays for the Seahawks. He's like a punter or something. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know who Russell Wilson is. We have lunch all the time. Uh, and uh, so Russell Wilson moves into your neighborhood. And, I mean, that would be kind of, 
I think it'd be kind of like this to where, I mean, let's be honest, you guys are going to be peeking over his fence, right? Like, get a glimpse of Russell Wilson, and you're going to be hanging out at the end of his driveway thinking, man, maybe he'll, maybe he'll walk out to get his mail. I don't think he gets his mail that way. Or, you know, you see his newspaper, and you, you walk up to his front door and say, oh, I just noticed you didn't pick your newspaper up. And, I mean, I mean why are you doing that? Because, I mean, this is this, this, this guy that everyone knows about, and you want to get to know him. I mean, that's what's happening here. These, I mean, John has said the most incredible things about this man. And they're like, we want to find out who this guy is. The, uh, who he really is. You know, it almost sounds like it might be too good to be true. And that's what they're thinking. They're like, we got to check this out. You know, I think often as we, as we read those statistics, that that's the problem, isn't it? It's too good to be true. Um, just this week... I read a magazine, the article just came out in a magazine called Christianity Today. Um, and it was about the pastor of a St. Louis megachurch, thousands of people. And he's also the chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals. So he's an all-around cool guy. But this is what the church elders, the leaders in his church, stated in firing him. Because of ongoing sinful behaviors over the past several years, including manipulation, domineering, lack of biblical community. And I think what they meant by that is that nobody knew him. I mean, he's this mega star pastor, but nobody knew him. I mean, he was on this pedestal, but, but ne- nobody knew him. And a history of building his identity through the ministry and media. And so what we see is a guy that thousands of people are looking up to him, and yet what he is about is himself. Building his identity through the ministry and through the media because he wants people to see him. He wasn't about Jesus. How does that happen? I think the key phrase there is lack of biblical community. He was this mega star, but nobody knew him. He was living this life that probably thousands of people envied and looked up to, but it, but he wasn't real. It wasn't real. And no wonder people bail on the church. And as we go back to, to this passage, that's what we see is so different about Jesus here in, in John chapter 1. As John's disciples are following him, and they... they they're kind of stalking him, kind of like, I'm not sure if it's kind of like nonchalant, like they're kind of acting like they aren't following him, but they are following him, or maybe like a Sherlock Holmes where they're kind of sneaking behind a tree and then they jump to the next tree. Or, I mean, they're, they're wanting to find out who he is. And then he says, what do you want? And they say, we want to know you. I think that's what they're... And he just simply says, make an appointment with my secretary, Okay. Or, you know, maybe I can work in. But he just says, come and see. I mean, it's so different from this, this other story. He says, check me out. Come and see for yourselves who I am. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of, is in tasting. So the first truth we see here is 
that Jesus didn't want to be re- removed from real life. He wanted to be in the thick of life. That's what he wants to be with us. He doesn't want to be some theological idea or some person we look up to, but he wants to be somebody that's in the thick of life with us. And so the first truth we see is that Christianity is about experiencing a real human person. Christianity is about experiencing a real human person. Like I said, he's not an untouchable hero or a theological idea, but he's someone, as it says in Psalm 34, 8, that we're to taste and see that he is good. Um, notice in, in John 1, it says, when G- Jesus said, come and see, um, it says they went and they spent the day with him. Um, so they went, they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. So from morning until afternoon, they just, they hung up, hung out with him. Um, what do you think they did? Now, I, I know some of you are thinking, they just probably had an all-day Bible study, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I'm thinking that they... Uh, played bocce ball or scrabble you know goes a long ways back i'm sure the uh, they they just hung out together i mean because he's saying come and see me live come and see me the real person so you can see that i am who john says i am so they shared stories uh they shared laughter and tears they they watched the voice together um they listened to pandora not really, you know. But they spent life together. And, and I think as a part of life, they talk truth. Because Jesus, truth and life aren't separated. It's all mingled together. And what happened is that they saw that he was for real. <laughs> he was the real deal. He was sincere. He wasn't like the Pharisees, a, a, a fake, an, an act. <laughs> Somebody putting on. He was, he was humble. He wasn't a prima donna. He was holy. He, you know, in, in the privacy of his own home, he, didn't, he wasn't telling dirty jokes. Different than he was in public. He was compassionate. He, he really cared about people. Even in the privacy of, of his own home, he was really whom John... John had said he was. And, and that's why in John 1.14 it says he moved into our neighborhood. God moved into our neighborhood so we could up close see and taste and touch God. You know, we're, we, we cheat ourselves when we relegate Jesus to church. Think about it. We, we, we cheat ourselves when we relegate God to this time or to a quiet time or to a community group because he wants to invade all of our lives. That's the application is Jesus wants as a person to invade every area of our lives, our successes and failures, our laughters and tears, our addictions, our our amazing relationships and our hard to get along with relationships, our money problems, our marriage problems, everything. He wants to invade every aspect 
of our lives. And so I think the result is, as we, as we saw in our passage, that as Jesus said, come and see, immediately what Andrew does is he goes and he grabs his brother and he says, come and see. We found that the one who John is talking about is the real deal. The God who wants to go with you to your job and your school and your home and every area of our lives. Man, we hurt ourselves so much by compartmentalizing our lives, by segregating our lives and saying, well, I'll let Jesus in here. Um, Well, not here. Maybe here. Definitely not here. Uh, Oops. Sorry, Jesus, you weren't supposed to see that. Um, then we come to John but there's more in John 1 43 to 51 it says the next day Jesus finds Philip and he says follow me Philip like Andrew and Peter was from Bethsaida and Philip in the same way that Andrew went and found his brother to say come and see Philip does the same thing and he says come and see and And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Um, Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And Philip says, come and see. Do you see? The the heart of this passage is, Jesus said, come and see me. Let me be a part of your life. And, And that's what, as Jesus becomes a part of every area of our lives, and we can pass that on to others and say, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. And, And so... Jesus sees Nathaniel and this true Israelite and and Nathaniel is amazed and then Jesus concludes in verses 50 and 51 to give us a glimpse of what he's talking about. He says, you believe because I told you something miraculous. I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Not only is real Christianity about experiencing a real person enmeshed in our lives, Christianity is expecting the real presence of God. Expecting the real presence of God. Is that an expectation of ours? That God will show up? I mean, where where we work. Um, I mean, we some of some of you work in hard places, dark places, and it's like God's not there at all. Christianity is experiencing the real person of God at our workplaces, schools, neighborhoods, relationships, and expecting that He's going to show up, and and we're going to be able to say, "How awesome is this place?" We had the most. I had the most incredible worship experience on Friday in a courtroom. Um, As six months before that, um, an order had been given by the judge that just caused catastrophic results. Um, This court, six months later, as we were sitting there and the judge was reconsidering the order and we were playing, praying, Jesus, show up today. <laughs> Give this judge incredible wisdom, wisdom from above. Help this judge to see what the truth is and what is just. 
And as it came to the end and the, and the judge said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the order I gave before. <laughs> and gave a new order. I, just, I was just overwhelmed. It was like, how awesome is this place? When Jesus is present and, and God shows up, experiencing that Jesus is a real human person and expecting that when he shows up, God's presence will be there. Imagine experiencing the person of Jesus and expecting the power of Jesus in, in every area of our lives. Think about walking with Jesus into the shipyard or into your school or into Olympic College or or. or Jesus being present in a tough conversation or a difficult circumstance, expecting him to show up. The incredible thing in Genesis 38, what what Jesus is doing at the end of John, he's quoting um, Genesis 38. Jacob has just ripped off his brother Esau. He stole his birthright, stole his blessing, and Esau wants to kill him. So Jacob is on the run for his life. And he stops in verse 11. He gets to this place. He stops for the night. He takes a stone. He puts his head on it, falls down to sleep, and has a dream. And he sees a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, the angels of God ascending and descending. This is what Jesus is quoting. Verse 13, And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And Jacob's thinking God is... He doesn't even have a thought for God. And here God is, appears to him, and when Jacob awakes, he thinks, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. You know, that's the reality. It doesn't matter how dark the place or, or the circumstance or wherever you are, God is in that place. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Wouldn't that be incredible if that's what your workplace was tomorrow? Or the coffee shop you're going to? I mean, this one, of course. Uh, Or your neighborhood or, or your school to where, like Jacob, you would explain awesome is this place when God shows up to give you courage or grace or humility or wisdom or victory or peace or deliverance in the thick of real life but I got to warn you it flies in the face of our culture doesn't it what we're talking about here I mean our culture is telling us keep your religion private right you you can have a faith but just Keep it to yourself. But that's not what these verses are saying at all. God's word is telling us our relationship with Jesus cannot be private. Merely private. Because Jesus is meant to invade every area of our lives. And here we are, compartmentalizing and and segregating instead of allowing the God of the universe to move into our neighborhood, to move into our lives, into our workplace, into our schools, and make a difference like we can never imagine. But please, inviting Jesus into your workplace or into your school doesn't mean spouting pious little phrases. It doesn't mean acting like religious 
or arrogantly looking down or judging or condemning others because they don't believe what you believe or they're different than you. That's not Jesus. We don't see Jesus like that. It means the humility of Jesus. Think about it. It means in your workplace or in your school, the humility of Jesus causing you to serve the person mocking your faith. It's like Jesus with his disciples who are arguing over who's the most important and Jesus taking off his robe and getting down on his hands and knees and washing his followers' dirty feet. It's the compassion of Jesus leading you to care for the outcast in your workplace or in your school or the righteousness of Jesus causing you to not participate in the the dirty jokes or the office gossip. That's a hard one, huh? And I think the result will be the proof that people need to want to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, we, we live in a world, and, and, and some, of, some of you here today, you need to taste and see Jesus is good. He's good, he's beautiful, he's kind, he's, he's holy, he's gracious, he's merciful. And what people out in your workplace, they need to taste that. But the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And unless you and your life can make their mouths water for Jesus, they're not going to want to taste. Maybe that's where we need to begin ourselves to remember how tasty Jesus is. Has your relationship with Jesus just been reduced to, to showing up here or, or talk or meetings or rituals? Um, it's about Jesus. He, he is tasty. He's beautiful. He's compassionate. He's merciful and kind. So just to let you know, as I wrap up here, you won't get in trouble if you peek ahead in the book of John, okay? Uh, we're going we're to go into chapter 2 tomorrow. We're going to see this Jesus at a wedding where they, they run out of wine and, and they're frantic. And Jesus shows up. I mean, you're, I encourage you, just go ahead, cheat, peek. Start reading in the book of John and just ask God, just give me thirst for Jesus. Make me hungry for Jesus. Make me want to taste Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to to forget, get sidetracked, get busy. Things become rituals. Maybe it just becomes religion. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to just long to taste Jesus, to experience him and be individuals that just expect him to show up because we're just making him a part of our lives. God, open our eyes to see Jesus and fall in love with him and know him as the God that he is. Amen.